Volume Ten, Chapter Ten, Part One of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Cecilia, Memoirs of an Heiress by Fanny Burney, Volume Ten, Chapter Ten, Part One. A Termination, Part One. Doctor Leicester and Delville met them at the entrance into the house. Extremely alarmed lest Cecilia had received any disturbance, they both hastened upstairs, but Delville proceeded only to the door. He stopped there and listened, but all was silent. The prayers of Albany had struck an awe into every one, and Dr. Leicester soon returned to tell him there was no alteration in his patient. "'And he has not disturbed her?' cried Delville. "'No, not at all.' "'I think, then,' said he, advancing, though trembling, "'I will yet see her once more.' "'No, no, Mr. Mortimer,' cried the doctor. "'Why should you give yourself so unnecessary a shock?' "'The shock,' answered he, "'is over. "'Tell me, however, is there any chance I may hurt her?' "'I believe not. "'I do not think just now she will perceive you.' "'Well, then, I may grieve, perhaps, hereafter, "'that once more, that one glance.' "'He stopped.' irresolute. The doctor would again have dissuaded him, but, after a little hesitation, he assured him he was prepared for the worst, and forced himself into the room. When again, however, he beheld Cecilia, senseless, speechless, motionless, her features void of all expression, her cheeks without color, her eyes without meaning, he shrunk from the sight. He leant upon Dr. Leicester, and almost groaned aloud. The doctor would have conducted him out of the apartment, but recovering from this first agony, he turned again to view her, and casting up his eyes, fervently ejaculated, "'O merciful powers, take or destroy her! Let her not linger thus! Rather let me lose her for ever! O far rather would I see her dead than in this dreadful condition!' Then, advancing to the bedside, and yet more earnestly looking at her, "'I pray not now,' he cried, "'for thy life!' Inhumanly as I have treated thee, I am not yet so hardened as to wish thy misery lengthened. No, quick be thy restoration, or short and pure thy passage to eternity. O my Cecilia, lovely, however altered, sweet even in the arms of death and insanity, and dearer to my tortured heart in this calamitous state than in all thy pride of health and beauty. He stopped and turned from her, yet could not tear himself away. He came back. He again looked at her. He hung over her in anguish unutterable. He kissed each burning hand. He folded to his bosom her feeble form, and recovering his speech, though almost bursting with sorrow, faintly articulated, Is all over? No ray of reason left? No knowledge of thy wretched Delville? No, none. The hand of death is on her, and she is utterly gone. Sweet suffering excellence, loved, lost, expiring Cecilia. But I will not repine. Peace and kindred angels are watching to receive thee, and if thou art parted from thyself, it were impious to lament thou shouldst be parted from me. Yet in thy tomb will be deposited all that to me could render existence supportable, every frail chance of happiness, every sustaining hope, and all alleviation of sorrow." Dr. Leicester, now again approaching, thought he perceived some change in his patient, 
and peremptorily forced him away from her. Then, returning himself, he found that her eyes were shut, and she was dropped asleep. This was an omen the most favorable he could hope. He now seated himself by the bedside, and determined not to quit her till the expected crisis was past. He gave the strictest orders for the whole house to be kept quiet, and suffered no one in the room either to speak or move. Her sleep was long and heavy, yet when she awoke her sensibility was evidently returned. She started, suddenly raising her head from the pillow, looking round her, and called out, "'Where am I now?' "'Thank heaven!' cried Henrietta, and was rushing forward when Dr. Lyster, by a stern and angry look, compelled her again to take her seat. He then spoke to her himself, inquired how she did, and found her quite rational. Henrietta, who now doubted not her perfect recovery, wept as violently for joy as she had before wept for grief, and Mary, in the same belief, ran instantly to Delville, eager to carry to him the first tidings that her mistress had recovered her reason. Delville, in the utmost emotion, then returned to the chamber, but stood at some distance from the bed, waiting for Dr. Lyster's permission to approach it. Cecilia was quiet and composed, her recollection seemed restored, and her intellect sound, but she was faint and weak, and contentedly silent to avoid the effort of speaking. Dr. Lyster encouraged the stillness, and suffered not any one, not even Delville, to advance to her. After a short time, however, she again, and very calmly, began to talk to him. She now first knew him, and seemed much surprised by his attendance. She could not tell, she said, what of late had happened to her, nor could guess where she was, or by what means she came into such a place. Dr. Lyster desired her at present not to think upon the subject and promised her a full account of everything when she was stronger, and more fit for conversing. This for a while silenced her, but after a short pause, "'Tell me,' she said, "'Dr. Lyster, have I no friend in this place but you?' "'Yes, yes, you have several friends here,' answered the doctor, "'only I keep them in order, lest they should hurry or disturb you.' She seemed much pleased by this speech, but soon after said, you must not, doctor, keep them in order much longer, for the sight of them, I think, would much revive me. Ah, Miss Beverley, cried Henrietta, who could not now restrain herself, may not I, among the rest, come and speak to you? Who is that? said Cecilia, in a voice of pleasure, though very feeble. Is it my ever-dear Henrietta? Oh, this is joy indeed, cried she, fervently kissing her cheeks and forehead, joy that I never, never expected to have more. "'Come, come,' cried Dr. Lyster. "'Here's enough of this. "'Did I not do well to keep such people off?' "'I believe you did,' said Cecilia, faintly smiling. "'My too kind Henrietta, you must be more tranquil.' "'I will, I will indeed, madame. "'My dear, dear Miss Beverley, I will indeed. "'Now, once you have owned me, "'and once again I hear your sweet voice, "'I will do anything and everything, "'for I am made happy for my whole life.' "'Ah, sweet Henrietta,' cried Cecilia, giving her her hand, "'you must suppress these feelings, or our doctor here will soon part us. "'But tell me, doctor, is there no one else that you can let me see?' Delville, who had listened to this scene in the unspeakable perturbation of that hope which is kindled from the very ashes of despair, was now springing forward, but Dr. Lyster, fearful of the consequences, hastily arose, 
and with a look and air not to be disputed, took hold of his arm and led him out of the room. He then represented to him strongly the danger of agitating or disturbing her, and charged him to keep from her sight till better able to bear it, assuring him at the same time that he might now reasonably hope her recovery. Delville, lost in transport, could make no answer, but flew into his arms, and almost madly embraced him. He then hastened out of sight to pour forth fervent thanks, and hurrying back with equal speed, again embraced the doctor, and while his manly cheeks were burnt with tears of joy, he could not yet articulate the glad tumult of his soul. The worthy Dr. Leicester, who heartily partook of his happiness, again urged him to be discreet, and Delville, no longer intractable and desperate, gratefully concurred in whatever he commanded. Dr. Leicester then returned to Cecilia, and to relieve her mind from any uneasy suspense, talked to her openly of Delville, gave her to understand he was acquainted with her marriage, and told her he had prohibited their meeting till each was better able to support it. Cecilia, by this delay, seemed half gratified and half disappointed, but the rest of the physicians, who had been summoned upon this happy change, now appearing, the orders were yet more strictly enforced for keeping her quiet. She submitted, therefore, peaceably, and Delville, whose gladdened heart still throbbed with speechless rapture, contentedly watched at her chamber door, and obeyed implicitly whatever was said to him. She now visibly and almost hourly grew better, and, in a short time, her anxiety to know all that was past, and by what means she became so ill and confined in a house of which she had not any knowledge, obliged Dr. Leicester to make himself master of these particulars, that he might communicate them to her with a calmness that Delville could not attain. Delville himself, happy to be spared the bitter task of such a relation, informed him all he knew of the story, and then entreated him to narrate to her also the motives of his own strange, and he feared unpardonable, conduct, and the scenes which had followed their parting. He came, he said, to England, ignorant of all that had passed in his absence, intending merely to wait upon his father and communicate his marriage before he gave directions to his lawyer for the settlements and preparations which were to precede its further publication. He meant also to satisfy himself of the real situation of Mr. Monckton, and then, after an interview with Cecilia, to have returned to his mother and waited at Nice till he might publicly claim his wife. To this purpose, he had written in his letter, which he meant to have put in the post-office in London himself, and he had but just alighted from his chaise when he met Ralph, Cecilia's servant, in the street. Hastily stopping him, he inquired if he had left his place? No, answered Ralph, I am only come up to town with my lady. With your lady? cried the astonished Delville. Is your lady then in town? Yes, sir, she is at Mrs. Belfield's. At Mrs. Belfield's? Is her daughter returned home? No, sir, we left her in the country. He was then going on with a further account, but, in too much confusion of mind, to hear him, Delville abruptly wished him good-night, and marched on himself towards Belfield's. The pleasure with which he would have heard that Cecilia was so near to him was totally lost in his perplexity to account for her journey. Her letters had never hinted at such a purpose. The news reached him only by accident. It was ten o'clock at night, yet she was at Belfield's, though the sister was away, though the mother was professedly odious to her. In an instant, 
All he had formerly heard, all he had formerly disregarded, rushed suddenly upon his memory, and he began to believe he had been deluded, that his father was right, and that Belfield had some strange and improper influence over her heart. The suspicion was death to him. He drove it from him. He concluded the whole was some error. His reason, as powerfully as his tenderness, vindicated her innocence, and though he arrived at the house in much disorder, he yet arrived with a firm persuasion of an honourable explanation. The door was open. A chaise was at it in waiting. Mrs. Belfield was listening in the passage. These appearances were strange, and increased his agitation. He asked for her son in a voice, scarce audible. She told him he was engaged with a lady, and must not be disturbed. That fatal answer, at a moment so big with the most horrible surmises, was decisive. Furiously, therefore, he forced himself past her, and opened the door. But when he saw them together, the rest of the family confessedly excluded, his rage turned to horror, and he could hardly support himself. "'Oh, Dr. Lyster,' he continued, "'ask of the sweet creature if these circumstances offer any extenuation for the fatal jealousy which seized me. Never by myself while I live will it be forgiven.' But she, perhaps, who is all softness, all compassion, and all peace, may sometime hence think my sufferings almost equal to my offence. He then proceeded in his narration. When he had so peremptorily ordered her chaise to St. James's Square, he went back to the house, and desired Belfield to walk out with him. He complied, and they were both silent till they came to a coffee-house, where they asked for a private room. The whole way they went, his heart— secretly satisfied of the purity of cecilia smote him for the situation in which he had left her yet having unfortunately gone so far as to make his suspicions apparent he thought it necessary to his character that their abolition should be equally public when they were alone belfield he said to obviate any imputation of impertinence in my inquiries i deny not what i presume you have been told by herself that I have the nearest interest in whatever concerns the lady from whom we are just now parted. I must beg, therefore, an explicit account of the purpose of your private conversation with her. Mr. Delville, answered Belfield, with mingled candor and spirit, I am not commonly much disposed to answer inquiries thus cavalierly put to me. Yet here, as I find myself not the principal person concerned, I think I am bound in justice to speak for the absent who is. I assure you, therefore, most solemnly, that your interest in Miss Beverley I never heard but by common report, that our being alone together was by both of us undesigned and undesired, that the honour she did our house in calling at it was merely to acquaint my mother with my sister's removal to Mrs. Harrel's, and that the part which I had myself in her condescension was simply to be consulted upon a journey which she has in contemplation to the south of France. And now, sir— Having given you this peaceable satisfaction, you will find me extremely at your service to offer any other. Delville instantly held out his hand to him. What you assert, he said, upon your honour, requires no other testimony. Your gallantry and your probity are equally well known to me. With either, therefore, I am content, and by no means require the intervention of both. They then parted, and now his doubts removed and his punctilio satisfied, he flew to St. James's Square, to entreat the forgiveness of Cecilia for the alarm he had occasioned her, and to hear the reason of her sudden journey, and change of measures. But when he came there, to find that his father, 
whom he had concluded was at Delville Castle, was in the house, while Cecilia had not even inquired for him at the door. Oh, let me not, he continued, even to myself, let me not trace the agony of that moment. Where to seek her I knew not, why she was in London I could not divine, for what purpose she had given the postilion a new direction I could form no idea. Yet it appeared that she wished to avoid me, and once more, in the frenzy of my disappointment, I supposed Belfield a party in her concealment. Again, therefore, I sought him, at his own house, at the coffee-house where I had left him. In vain, wherever I came, I just missed him, for, hearing of my search, he went with equal restlessness, from place to place to meet me. I rejoice we both failed. A repetition of my inquiries, in my then irritable state, must inevitably have provoked the most fatal resentment. I will not dwell upon the scenes that followed. My laborious search, my fruitless wanderings, the distraction of my suspense, the excess of my despair. Even Belfield, the fiery Belfield, when I met with him the next day, was so much touched by my wretchedness that he bore with all my injustice. Feeling, noble young man, never will I lose the remembrance of his high-souled patience. And now, Dr. Leicester, go to my Cecilia, tell her this tale, and try, for you have skill sufficient to soften— yet not wound her with my sufferings. If, then, she can bear to see me, to bless me with the sound of her sweet voice, no longer at war with her intellects, to hold out to me her loved hand, in token of peace and forgiveness, O oh, Dr. Leicester, preserver of my life and hers, give to me but that exquisite moment, and every past evil will be for ever obliterated. You must be calmer, sir, said the doctor, before I make the attempt. These heroics are mighty well for sound health and strong nerves, but they will not do for an invalid. He went, however, to Cecilia, and gave her this narration, suppressing whatever he feared would most affect her, and judiciously enlivening the whole by his strictures. Cecilia was much easier for this removal of her perplexities, and, as her anguish and her terror had been unmixed with resentment, she had now no desire but to reconcile Delville with himself. Dr. Leicester, however, by his friendly authority, obliged her for some time to be content with this relation. But when she grew better, her impatience became stronger, and he feared opposition would be as hurtful as compliance. Delville, therefore, was now admitted. Yet slowly, and with trepidation he advanced, terrified for her, and fearful of himself, filled with remorse for the injuries she had sustained, and impressed with grief and horror, to behold her so ill and altered. Supported by pillows, she sat almost upright. The moment she saw him, she attempted to bend forward and welcome him, calling out in a tone of pleasure, though faintly, "'Ah, dearest Delville, is it you?' But too weak for the effort she had made, she sunk back upon her pillow, pale, trembling, and disordered. Dr. Leicester would then have interfered to postpone their further conversation, but Delville was no longer master of himself or his passions. He darted forward, and kneeling at the bedside, "'Sweet injured excellence!' he cried, "'wife of my heart, sole object of my chosen affection, dost thou yet live? Do I hear thy loved voice? Do I see thee again? Art thou my Cecilia? And I have indeed not lost thee?' Then, regarding her more fixedly, "'Alas!' he cried, "'art thou indeed my Cecilia, so pale!' so emaciated, O oh, suffering angel! And couldst thou then call upon Delville, the guilty but broken-hearted Delville, 
thy destroyer, thy murderer, and yet not call to execrate him? Cecilia, extremely affected, could not utter a word. She held out to him her hand. She looked at him with gentleness and kindness, but tears started into her eyes, and trickled in large drops down her colourless cheeks. "'Angelic creature!' cried Delville, his own tears overflowing, while he pressed to his lips the kind token of her pardon. "'Can you give to me again a hand so ill-deserved? Can you look with such compassion on the author of your woes? On the wretch, who for an instant could doubt the purity of a mind so seraphic?' "'Ah, Delville!' cried she, a little reviving. "'Think no more of what is past. To see you, to be yours, drives all evil from my remembrance.' "'I am not worthy this joy,' cried he, rising, kneeling, and rising again. "'I know not how to sustain it. A forgiveness such as this, when I believed you must hate me for ever, when repulse and aversion were all I dared expect, when my own inhumanity had bereft thee of thy reason, when the grave, the pitiless grave, was already open to receive thee.' "'Too kind, too feeling, Delville,' cried the penetrated Cecilia, Relieve your loaded heart from these bitter recollections. Mine is lightened already. Lightened, I think, of everything but its affection for you. O oh, words of transport and ecstasy! cried the enraptured Delville. O oh, partner of my life, friend, solace, darling of my bosom, that so lately I thought expiring, that I folded to my bleeding heart in the agony of eternal separation. Come away, sir, come away, cried Dr. Leicester who now saw that Cecilia was greatly agitated. I will not be answerable for the continuation of this scene. And taking him by the arm, he awakened him from his frantic rapture, by assuring him she would faint, and forced him away from her. Soon after he was gone, and Cecilia became more tranquil, Henrietta, who had wept with bitterness in a corner of the room during this scene, approached her, and, with an attempted smile, though in a voice hardly audible, said, "'Ah, Miss Beverley, you will at last, then, be happy, happy as all your goodness deserves, and I am sure I should rejoice in it if I was to die to make you happier.' Cecilia, who but too well knew her full meaning, tenderly embraced her, but was prevented by Dr. Leicester from entering into any discourse with her. The first meeting, however, with Delville being over, the second was far more quiet, and in a very short time he would scarcely quit her a moment. Cecilia herself receiving from his sight a pleasure too great for denial, yet too serene for danger. The worthy Dr. Leicester, finding her prospect of recovery thus fair, prepared for leaving London, but, equally desirous to do good out of his profession as in it, he first, at the request of Delville, waited upon his father, to acquaint him with his present situation, solicit his directions for his future proceedings, and endeavour to negotiate a general reconciliation. Mr. Delville, to whose proud heart social joy could find no avenue, was yet touched most sensibly by the restoration of Cecilia. Neither his dignity nor his displeasure had been able to repress remorse, a feeling to which, with all his foibles, he had not been accustomed. The view of her distraction had dwelt upon his imagination. The despondency of his son had struck him with fear and horror. He had been haunted by self-reproach, and pursued by vain regret, and those concessions he had refused to tenderness and entreaty, he now willingly accorded to change repentance for tranquillity. 
he sent instantly for his son, whom even with tears he embraced, and felt his own peace restored as he pronounced his forgiveness. New, however, to kindness, he retained it not long, and a stranger to generosity, he knew not how to make her welcome. The extinction of his remorse abated his compassion for Cecilia, and when solicited to receive her, he revived the charges of Mr. Monckton. Cecilia, informed of this, determined to write to that gentleman herself, whose long and painful illness, joined to his irrecoverable loss of her, she now hoped might prevail with him to make reparation for the injuries he had done her. To Mr. Monckton, I write not, sir, to upbraid you. The woes which have followed your ill offices, and which you may sometime hear, will render my reproaches superfluous. I write but to beseech that what is past may content you, and that, however, while I was single you chose to misrepresent me to the Delville family, you will have so much honour, since I am now become one of it, as to acknowledge my innocence of the crimes laid to my charge. In remembrance of my former long friendship, I send you my good wishes, and in consideration of my hopes from your recantation, I send you, sir, if you think it worth acceptance, my forgiveness. Cecilia Delville Mr. Monckton, after many long and painful struggles between useless rage and involuntary remorse, at length sent the following answer. To Mrs. Mortimer Delville Those who could ever believe you guilty must have been eager to think you so. I meant but your welfare at all times, and to have saved you from a connection I never thought equal to your merit. I am grieved, but not surprised, to hear of your injuries. From the alliance you have formed, nothing else could be expected. If my testimony to your innocence can, however, serve to mitigate them, I scruple not to declare I believe it without taint. Delville sent by Dr. Leicester this letter to his father, whose rage at the detection of the perfidy which had deceived him was yet inferior to what he felt that his family was mentioned so injuriously. His conference with Dr. Leicester was long and painful, but decisive. That sagacious and friendly man knew well how to work upon his passions, and so effectually awakened them by representing the disgrace of his own family from the present situation of Cecilia, that before he quitted his house he was authorized to invite her to remove to it. End of chapter 10 Part 1. Recording by Michelle Crandall, Fremont, California, September 2008.